It's making sure I'm planting a seed that if it's the first time they've ever practiced or if I'm never going to see any of the students again, can they walk away with something that's going to benefit them without me? Hello, yogis, and welcome back to Dharma Talk. This is episode number 26, and I'm your host, Henry Winslow. First-time listeners, thank you so much for checking this out. And long-time listeners, couldn't have been that long. The show's not that old. I appreciate you coming back. This week, you'll get to listen to my conversation with Jill Weiss-Ippolito. Jill is doing some very inspiring and important work with the nonprofit organization she founded called Uprising Yoga. Through Uprising Yoga, she's teaching yoga and life skill classes in all sorts of different um, non-traditional yoga spaces. For example, youth detention facilities, group homes, homeless shelters. And one of her crowning achievements, which we talk about, was actually getting her signature trauma-informed yoga practice or style incorporated into the mandatory curriculum for the probation officers in California. So we talk about all sorts of things here in this interview, her background with her yoga practice, what she means by trauma-informed yoga, and how she ensures particularly sensitive students in some of these environments still feel safe and secure in their first yoga class. We go through her brilliant and effective strategy that got her yoga program integrated into that California probation system, despite heavy resistance from the staff. We talk about how teachers really have to adjust their approach to teaching in a non-studio setting when the students are not there by choice. And we talk about who can benefit from getting trained in trauma-informed yoga. Here's a little hint. You do not need a yoga practice, but you do need to know something very specific about yourself. So we'll dig into all of that. Please enjoy this interview with Jill Weiss-Ippolito right after these announcements. Yogis, I've got a whole bunch of special events and workshops coming up this fall that I hope you can join me for. First, on September 15th at Yoga Fitness Herald Square in Manhattan, I'm teaching a workshop called Backbending for Health and Joy. Then, the weekend of October 13th, 14th, I'll be down in Miami with my wife, Veronica Lombo. We're each teaching a workshop. I'm covering hip therapy for grounding and tension release, and Veronica's teaching mood-boosting meditation and practical pranayama for mental wellness. Then in November, we're going down to Richmond, Virginia, my hometown, and the weekend of November 16th through 18th, I'll be teaching a couple workshops at the Yoga Dojo, Take Control Through Lightness, and Find Power in Vulnerability. Then the following weekend, November 24th and 25th, right after Thanksgiving, I'll be teaching another HIPS workshop at Hot Yoga Richmond, and the next day, Veronica will teach a workshop called Sadhana, Creating Your Yoga Practice Beyond the Poses. Also, at the beginning of November, I'm going to be stopping through the One Fire Hot Yoga Festival down in Mexico, so I hope our schedules align. If you can come to any of my workshops or you're going to One Fire, come say hi. I'd love to meet you in person. You can find the details for all those workshops at henrywins.com slash events. What's your purpose? 
What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your Dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I've got a new friend on the line, Jill Ippolito. Incarcerated as an adult, Jill turned her life around with yoga and went on to complete over 900 hours of yoga teacher training. In 2011, Jill founded Uprising Yoga and began teaching yoga life skill classes in youth detention facilities, group homes, hospitals, schools, camps, homeless shelters, and underserved communities. Now, Jill educates hundreds of yoga instructors, child care providers, and mental health professionals and educators worldwide through her international trauma-informed yoga trainings. And she advocates for the reformation of prison and probation culture through yoga. Jill, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm terrific. Great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm here in in California. Just got back from a pretty long travel stint through Southeast Asia. So it's nice to be back in the comfort in the U.S. (laughs) Welcome back. Thanks. Uh, you know, we always start these interviews with the exact same question. Today will be no different. I think I have a little bit of the sense from it based on your intro, but I'll let you answer the question. What does the word Dharma mean to you? And what is your Dharma as you understand it today? Oh, thank you. Uh, that is a great question. I love that. Uh, I had to look up Dharma. You know, it's it's not in my vocabulary as regular, but I find that I do it naturally. Um, I looked up what it means to me, and it's giving back. And not just the way of, oh, how can I give something to someone, but giving of yourself and from where you're at. So it could be a generosity, a kindness, a smile, something that's that's not overwhelming. That, That to me is what Dharma means is more of a generosity as a habit and a a spiritual uh, offering. And my dharma today is probably coming from that place. As simple as I can answer it is responding to a need and seeing something that I could do, then I respond. I, I think it's that simple. It is a, a very um, elegantly put and, and simple explanation. And what I like most about what you said is um, that it doesn't need to be some kind of overwhelming, grandiose gesture. Even the smallest little things can create that habit. And habit is what determines how we live our life. So um, thank you for that, for that nice answer. Sure. I think when people think of giving... It's either running around and shopping or having to do something right or going beyond your means. And it's for there's a giving that becomes about uh, a need to fulfill something that the other person may not want or need. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. so there's there's it's not a natural coming from generosity and kindness. It's coming from the person that's giving that needs to fulfill something. 
um, like an ego. And so there's a, there's a big difference. And I think that's why I wanted to simplify it down to habit of just a natural kindness. Mm -hmm. So in your intro, I, I spoke on the fact that you were incarcerated as an adult and then that was your path into discovering yoga. I'd love to hear about a little bit more about that if you're willing to share um, how how you discovered yoga and how that played into um, your, I guess, re-entry into regular life. Sure. Okay. Well, um, I was arrested as a teenager as well. So uh, throughout high school, I had been arrested for, uh, <laughs> as I tell the kids in juvenile hall, for not running fast enough <laughs> when the, when the cops showed up. <laughs> but uh yeah, so twice I was arrested as a youth, and it back then it was my mom just picked me up, and the first time she just took me back to the party and dropped me off. <laughs> so it's not like I did hard time as a kid. Uh, very different than what I see when I go and teach you know, yoga in juvenile hall. Uh, so that, that was the first one, and the second one I did not remember my mom coming to pick me up. She had to remind me that I was arrested and she picked me up from the same place I had been teaching in juvenile hall as an adult. And I didn't remember that. So it caught, you know, gave me great concern to start studying trauma and how we process that. And the third time as an adult, it was because of addictions, uh, drugs and alcohol. And I was sent to go to a 12 step recovery program. I had a probation officer that I was supposed to meet with for about a year and a half and I wasn't supposed to leave the country and I was under all these conditions with a felony charge and uh, I went to the 12-step meetings and there were bright lights and people sitting around and I was terrified of that connection and around that time I saw $10 for 10 days at a Bikram yoga studio and I said well what's that and i I bought the $10 for 10 days and I stepped into my first yoga class, um, hated everything about it, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, was determined to do those 10 days or as many of those days that I could. And that's how I first found yoga during that first year of, of my recovery. Uh huh. And okay. So let me just get clear on the timeline there. You said that, um, the second time that you, were arrested or incarcerated, you didn't remember it. And it was the same facility where you had already been teaching? Yes. So I started Uprising Yoga. We started to volunteer at Central Juvenile Hall in Los Angeles in November 2011. And at the time, we found out 82% of the foster care kids that we were teaching were sexually trafficked. And so that became, you know, a big L.A. County policy issue. How do we, you know, combine this information that we learned from probation staff? And it really became a big topic that a lot of people didn't know about. So L.A. County came to me and said, let's do a fundraiser and spread awareness. And we did our first fundraiser in March of 2012. I believe it was March or April. And it was... Uh, big fundraiser. And I called my mom and I said, mom, are you raising funds? This is for, you know, sexually trafficked children. And she said, you know, yeah, what country is that for again? 
And I said, no, mom, it's in Los Angeles. It's down the street from where we live. And I started to explain to her that I had been teaching yoga there for several months every week. And these are the demographics of the foster youth. And she then said to me, wait a minute, I picked you up from that facility. So she remembered being called in the middle of the night that her daughter was arrested and she had to go pick her up from jail. And that's the facility that I was taken to when I was arrested the second time. And I did not remember wow. until my mom. Yeah, it's still a foggy memory of mine because I I, I really don't remember. <laughs> and what did it feel like to be to get that response from your mother when you had already had this emotional um, kind of loaded connotation with the place and, and you felt that it was separate from your experience? it's still a patch. Like it still feels foggy. Like I wanted to look up my records and make sure that's true. I, I do remember when she brought that up, I said, Oh, that's right. I had a vague recollection of being arrested with that group of people. I believe it was in Hollywood. And so like patchy memories started to come back. And then I started to talk to the uh, probation staff and tell some of them, you know, I found out I was here when I was a a kid. And uh, one of the guys that would was the supervisors, he was there when he was a kid. And then the next thing I started meeting more people that were working in probation, or working with teens in probation, that had also been incarcerated. And so I found a group of people and we were like, you know, and they kind of joked and said, Yeah, they just bring in the finest, you know, and it but it really had had something of a stronger message that if we had been there, then we know what the kids are going through that are there now mm -hmm. and we've survived it. And here we are giving back. And my message is so deep. I'm there offering yoga that really put me on a completely different path than where I was heading. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there's more than a coincidence there when you start to see people coming back to the same, um, I guess the same background that they came from, you know, you have to kind of like send the elevator back down once you've lifted yourself out of that situation. Yeah. I don't know if people choose it or it chooses them. Mm -hmm. you, you know, I don't, I mean, there's a probation commissioner, a friend of mine that, you know, I see him every Christmas bringing the kids gifts and, you know, he's devoted his life to giving back and he spent a lot of time there. I admire him so much. And, just appears we're doing the same work you know he's just and the, you know it, it's it's tender to know that that we can say I've been through this too and here's a way out like it's it's an inspiration that you can give somebody that's suffering at that time yeah, yeah. and hope you know real hope because most often the kids don't see me as that you know I'm a kind of a cleaned up adult now that, you know, and like could probably be some of their grandmother. I could be the age of their grandmother, you know, mm -hmm. and they, they look at me and they're like, you were in here, you know, and, and then it opens a dialogue. It, it, you know, I'm vague and I'll say, yeah. And I found yoga and it, it started to develop something that I wanted more than the destruction that the destructive path my life was going on. And I think it's much easier for um, someone in that position to connect to to you having been in their shoes than any, you know, 
I don't know, privileged yoga instructor who walks in off the street and just uh, starts preaching at them. Like you can fix yourself up through yoga. It's like, no, I've, <laughs> I've taken this path. It definitely. We, we do these, you know, we'll go further when we start talking about the trauma informed yoga trainings we do. And we do get privileged yoga teachers that may not have had a past like that. And we say, how do you connect? Why did you find yoga and how did it help heal and save your life? And if they don't know, I say, go think about it and come back. Mm-hmm. And I had one teacher, she had no idea what, how she could connect with the youth in juvenile hall because she just had nothing like that in her life. And she thought about it and came back and said, oh, I quit smoking. And I was like, perfect. You know, just, just talk about how yoga helped you quit smoking. A lot of the kids in here could relate to that. Yeah. 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 So earlier on, you mentioned that, um, your first foray into yoga practice was, um, a 10 class card at a Bikram studio, but I also heard you start to tie in your experience of um, blocking out this memory of being incarcerated into how you've kind of switched your teaching into more trauma-informed methodology. What does your current yoga practice look like personally? What is your your practice these days? Are you still doing the Bikram? Are you doing something a little different? And, And how has it evolved to support you on your path? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because I'm excited about my yoga practice now. It is it has not always been it's you know, go steady falls off. Go steady <laughs> falls off and a lot of experimental, you know. Um in in the beginning my Bikram yoga looked like who is that in the mirror? How do I get my postures to look perfect? So I had perfection in a mirror. Um, I didn't like what I saw. I had body image distortion. I had a similar addictive quality of maybe obsession of of going every day, standing in the front row. There was an aggression to my yoga practice in the beginning that I don't think it has the kindness I have now. You know, it, that was that was, gosh, almost like seventeen years ago, eighteen years ago when when. 60 something like that and it's evolved into a kindness i am back with bikram yoga recently because i went to uh, hawaii and taught for three weeks in Kauai at the bikram studio and and i fell in love with it again the structure the heat and i was there for three weeks before i went to teach in new zealand australia and so there were hot yoga studios, there was the hot vinyasa, there was um, yin yoga, the variety was exciting, but the memory of the Bikram yoga medicine <laughs> was really fun to connect back to it. So once I got back to Los Angeles, I went back to the downtown studio where I taught for years and recommitted, but not as, you know, maybe three times a week and um, how, how that helps is a wide variety. It did switch into what is trauma-informed yoga, what are the variety of yoga, and what does my teaching look like? It's, it's not a 90-minute Bikram yoga class. It's very different. But I, ho- I hope I answered that. I kind of jumped around. Yeah, no, I'm, well, that's, that's really how, that's an accurate answer. You know, we are always jumping around, I think, <laughs> as curious students. And um, I can definitely relate to um, that kind of soft spot, 
soft spot in your heart for Bikram, even as you get to be more uh, interested and curious in all these different modalities, being able to come back to that um, as a sort of a, a familiar therapy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. My body likes it. I glow after I get, you know, I think it's that beginner when in the beginning there was that romance and euphoria and I would leave a Bikram class just floating. And then it, it I didn't feel that as much after a while. Mm-hmm. And so now that I've been away from it and I've gone back, I, I, I have that memory. I have that floating feeling. I have that achievement that I, I pushed myself to the limit, but also let go where it was needed. There was the relationship building, mm-hmm. um, that I'm back into again. And, and I'm really embracing that right now. And I'm sure it didn't hurt that you were reintroducing yourself in the middle of tropical paradise in Hawaii. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, it was really tough. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was such a great experience. Yeah. Okay. Because, so you're... You know, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, so you're you're doing the you're doing the beacon practice. You're doing yin. You're doing all these different styles of yoga, um, but at the same time, you're starting to, or maybe not starting to. Maybe it's been some time now, but crystallizing your own unique style of teaching that uniquely serves the um, student base that you want to serve. So, so what does that look like? This trauma informed training, or this trauma informed practice that you're training other teachers to teach. Sure. Well, the trauma-informed yoga versus the trauma-informed training, uh, the yoga classes I teach in the community are pretty much, I would say, responding to the need as well. Um, looking around and seeing who's there, who shows up, what do do we need to bring in a chair and offer chair yoga? What is the accessibility, um, the level, you know, of how many new people do we have? Do we have pregnant teenagers? You know, it's just the demographics. Is it their seniors? So it's adapting to the room and the climate. And tra- when it's when we say trauma-informed, there's a lot of things looked at like language, like nonviolent communication, um, invitational, uh, definitely hands-off, no touching, so no adjusting, uh, verbal cues, uh, looking around, offering uh, you know, options there's, so, so it's making, making the room accessible. Um, I taught recently for, at a addictions, um, community center and it, it was a right after the Trader Joe shooting we had in our neighborhood in Silver Lake, there was, um, I woke up the next day and my response was, can I bring trauma-informed yoga to Silver Lake, you know, to the hostages or to people affected by this big mass shooting we had? Um, And people showed up. It was a lot of people that had never done yoga before. Um, You know, so how I would adapt my teaching style is kind of making it, you know, keeping the energy moving maybe less postures, less rigid, explaining a little bit about the structure, uh, talking about the benefits, you know, but uplifting, keeping it moving so that there's an energy that we're sharing that's that's very uplifting, I would say. And that, that was very successful. There was one student had told me she tried yoga years and years and years ago and had such a terrible experience The teacher had yelled at her and she never wanted to go back. And (laughs) she said that now she 
wakes up and tries some of the the yoga postures that we did in that class, she does it in the morning now and feels great and wants to, can't wait to take the next class. So it's, it's making sure I'm planting a seed that if it's the first time they've ever practiced, or if I'm never going to see any of the students again, can they walk away with something that's going to benefit them without me? You know, so that they don't have to rely on a class or me, but that they can take away something that will, you know, will benefit their life in the future if I never see them again. Yeah. When you come in to teach a class like that, um, what's going through your mind? Because I can imagine, you know, especially compared to something like a Beaker method or something that's very regimented and consistent and routinized, that compared to that, I mean, this could be a totally different thing from one day to another. So as the teacher holding this space for, you know, a, a particularly sensitive community, potentially, what do you do when you go in there to feel the room out and know what you should be doing to serve them best? In that particular case, I felt protective. Uh, I, I look at the room and see where would the eyes land the best, like with windows, with mat placement. So it's surveying the land, you know, looking around at, um, I would say the feng shui of the room, you know, where do I place myself so the I can see all bodies? Um, how do I ask the mat structure to set up so people have enough space? Um, that particular day, there was Channel 4 News had shown up, which I wasn't expecting. So I felt very protective and pulled the person aside and said, hey, you know, some people might not want to be on camera. You know, that's that we did have hostages there that came up and said to me, I'm so glad you're doing this. I'm so scared this happened. And, you know, so so I have the sensitivity of knowing what's going on with some individuals and a lot I don't know. So I'm aware that I don't know what's going on with everybody, but mm -hmm. there's a level of protection of, like you said, holding space. Like where do I place myself and how do I emulate the calmness, uh, feeling the ground? How do I center so that if I'm embodying that, they're picking up on it. And it's, it's, so it's, it's, that's probably what I'm thinking of most is how do I offer a sense of comfort and safety and let, letting people know that this is, this is for you. You can, you know, you're, you're all welcome here. That's really interesting. Um, you know, that it's the first thing that you answered that question with was, uh, a physical orientation. How do you set the room up where you position yourself relative to the students? And on the one hand, I'm, I was like a little bit surprised to hear that. Um, but on the other hand, it makes total sense. I mean, it's right in line with everything that we're doing with the yoga practice. You use physical movement, physical awareness of the body to tap into something deeper. So, um, it's, it's beautifully simple and it makes a lot of sense. Oh, I like how you interpreted that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you um, when you're expressing the way that you your own thought process, maybe certain things are taken for granted. But for me, that was something that really jumped out at me that it was so physically oriented as, as a way to create that sense of security. It's not about, um, you know, asking people or, or pro uh, probing or prodding too much. It's just you use the space um, and, and the feng shui, as you put it, to to just create that environment. 
Well, yeah, we walk into a lot of environments. That's the main thing, like with the trauma-informed yoga trainings, is we we've taught in lockdown psychiatric hospitals. And so what we do in a situation like that is we had like 23 adults, most medicated. There's chairs, there's couches. The bodies are sinking into the couches and the spines are curved. We want them upright. Like, can they stand? You know, you have to think of things like that. Where do I place myself so that I can maybe get mobility when this room's too crowded? Um, When we go into juvenile hall, there's... uh, there's staff. And so we want the kids' eyes on us, not on staff, because staff might make gestures back and forth with them. You know, so it's it's also, you know, putting yourself as the center of the focus. But also, I've been aware that, because people have asked me, why am I so naturally comfortable of walking into men's prisons, women's prisons, and, you know, in situations that I've never been. How am I comfortable there? And how am I asking other students to to be comfortable? And I think it it goes back to growing up in a very violent upbringing. And it's like adult children of alcoholism, you know, ACA. It's you survey the room, you know, energies, and you protect yourself and others. So I think it's I think it's, you know, an energy. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. Um, even if you didn't, even if you haven't been in that exact same situation, there are elements there that you can relate to. And, and that, um, that empathy really comes through from a teacher student relationship. Yeah. yeah. Asking questions, you know, what are the needs here and how, how do I provide that? And, and Jill, I'm sure it hasn't always been, um, an immediate connection when you step into these very diverse situations to teach. So um, maybe you can tell us about a time that you really struggled with that or, or you hit a wall in some other sense with teaching this, this style of yoga. Um, what happened in, in that situation? And then what did you do to get through it? Oh gosh. Uh, yeah. In the beginning, it was very difficult to have staff accept us. Uh, they, seem to roll their eyes, you know, um, oh, here comes yoga, you know, like in the very beginning, we needed staff buy-in. We needed them to present this to the kids that this is the time slot that they're going to be doing this. And it had to be beneficial to them. And in the beginning, it wasn't. It was to them, the staff. Yes. Okay. The staff found it like maybe an intrusion. I, I mean, they just weren't on board in the beginning. And I think the first, I can, I can recall going home in tears, you know, and I think a lot of, a lot of us felt that way. And one of the ways that we support each other was giving each other, you know, have, making sure we were on phone numbers so that we could call and reach out to somebody that understands it knows that we're doing this for a bigger cause and a bigger mission. We're not just alone going in and volunteering, but this is a larger mission and, and that, that we believe in the healing that we're bringing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know another way that the way that worked the best for me was to see that, okay, we're not welcome here. <laughs> we're not well received. And, and let me try to understand why. And I, I got that staff is overworked, stressed, and they need yoga too. 
And sometimes they're a little jealous that everybody's there to support the youth or the kids. And what, you know, they're like, well, what about me? I'm overworked. I'm tired. I can't sit down and take a break. Why do they get to? Mm. And so there's that, that tension. And so I went to the downtown Bikram yoga studio where I was working at the time. And I asked the owner if I could offer passes to the staff. And she gave me cards for like free 10 days and little cards on them. And I passed them out and I said, oh, I'd love it if you come to my yoga class. And here's, you know, 10 free days. I'd, I'd love it if you experienced it. And the one uh, probation staff member that I had the most trouble with who you know, I dreaded going to the class when she was there. She showed up one day at my class and, and I was so excited. And so that's what I, I think I met their needs. I understood their frustration was that they needed yoga too. They wanted to sit and breathe and have a coping mechanism and, you know, just take a break and connect really. That is, I love that story. That is so brilliant. Um, <laughs> no, because pres presumably, you know, if you're coming in there, um, you're not just like barging through the door and, and forcing yoga on these people. Like there was some buy-in at a higher level, but um, maybe the the intermediate level there of, of managerial staff didn't really see the benefits. So you said, okay, well, let me, let me educate this this um this group here too so that we have buy-in and and everyone can appreciate the value of this um if there's a gatekeeper you know you have to you have to be able to share that with everyone and on their terms which is what you did so um smart and um very compassionate well done <laughs> thanks yeah um so okay what when did you uh decide that this was something that you really wanted to empower other people to do too because um, I have to imagine that's why you started doing the trainings. Definitely. Well, you know, in the beginning, we had a lot of people kept asking me, you know, hey, I'd love to get involved doing that. And then I realized how it it works so much better with more people doing it. Then, of course, more yoga, more people, more happy. You know, And, and the more places we can go and a, a crowd of us started to uh, build. And I looked around and there was just like, there was probably about 20 of us. People were volunteering. I was getting emails. It was word of mouth. And it really just kind of took on a, a, a life of its own. And we thought, well, let's put together some ideas and come up. We wrote a manual and we put like, sat down and thought about, you know, what worked best for us and what were some great tips and let's bring people together. And from there it just grew. Um, I, I took trainings. I looked around and went, wow, you know, there's organizations that are already doing this. Um, I had no idea, no plan to build a nonprofit. I just started volunteering myself and a crowd grew. And then one day a psychologist called me and said, Hey, can I send my students to your program? And I thought, well, what, I, I don't have a program. <laughs> so, <laughs> what program? So, yeah, so, I, so there wasn't anything in place at the time. And then that's when we thought, well, maybe we should build a program and, you know, sign up for a nonprofit and start to put together, you know, our core values and, and a vision and some board members. And, and really, it took off without me. Like, like mm -hmm. all of the good exploded and I just kept showing up. You know, it was, I really don't feel like I sat down and made this happen. It just, 
everybody just it built and and grew well you know this is like a direct uh perfect case in point example of what you were talking about earlier where it's like can you can you can go out and and force yourself to give something to placate your own need to to give but here in this example you know it's it's the total opposite the need was established so much so that you just were kind of like, okay, I have to organize something around this thing that has already been pulled out of me. Um, and, and I think that's a great way to, to establish or validate the need for any business, nonprofit or for profit, um, because you know that you're actually serving someone and you're not just um, building something based on a theory or concept that could or could not be, um, of use in the world. That's funny. You know, yeah, I was actually, I was asked to teach graduate students at Cal State University and <laughs> I was surprised, but I loved it. It was MBA graduates. And I thought, well, what are they really asking me to teach? And it was about how yoga can help with all that you just described, you know, serving a need, but understanding what is what is it you have to give that is serving that need you know and it it just was an interesting tie-in uh to teach new graduates about business you know like it was really interesting to tie those in together (laughs) sure yeah absolutely um i think that um business owners have a lot to learn from yoga have a lot to be gained from yoga um there's the element of service, of course, and then more practically, you know, just um, the ability to, to remain clear and, and uh, grounded in yourself and, uh, and combat all that stress that comes from running a business. So I think that I'm sure they benefited a lot from that class. Yeah, and working with adults is different, too. I mean, those were, I guess, young adults, but uh, adults like like I taught probation staff for a year and a half, a California state approved curriculum with their probation department. And that was very unique to teach the probation staff how to, you know, create more peace instead of violence, Mm. you know, between, uh, you know, the camps and, and where the detained youth are. You know, that, that's, that was a very sensitive course that, that went on for quite some time in the county. And that was mandated by California um, law that they had to go through this course. They had four hours they, that they would take, yes. And, and it was about a year and a half. I, they, I taught level one. They asked me for level two, and we were about to move it forward. And, and uh, I, I wasn't able to keep that going, um, unfortunately. But I'm very excited about teaching those curriculums to adults and service providers, social workers. It's um, that that's a very that's really a great, great course. It's very different, like what you were saying with with business owners. And Mm -hmm. it's yeah, it's if somebody's coming for a professional curriculum as opposed to I signed up for a yoga class, you know, a yoga class we think of in a yoga studio or mainstream or a a gym or, you know, wherever yoga is offered, usually someone's signing up and paying and going on their own. But if someone's sent to a yoga education program, it's very different. A lot of them are reluctant. They have no desire to do 
to be there. Some of them have religious animosity about it. And Mm -hmm. you have a lot of reluctant adults that are being sent to something, wondering why. (laughs) Like, why am I sent to this? What do you have to tell me about my job? Uh And it's very different. I'm sure there's a lot more um, explanation of, of the merit of yoga that has to be done before you can even get anyone on board. Yeah. Well, we sit down in a circle and we talk about personal trauma. We talk about breathing. You know, um, we talk about what is wisdom and your gut instinct and feeling your heartbeat and centering and, and sitting in a circle with probation staff geared for combat, you know, not in their soft clothes, but in their uniforms with Mm -hmm. boots and belts and you know they're not comfortable and we're sitting in a circle and we're breathing we're meditating you know um the the hardened shell softens you know and and then the vulnerability is available and and i find that people let their guards down and and they relax into what's being offered it's beautiful yeah, I mean, you're you're walking into basically the battlefield as far as um, emotional guarding is concerned, and and to be mm-hmm. able to to dearm that is um, that's a powerful skill. Yeah, and and same with men's prisons, women's prisons. You know, there's a culture that's that's happening, and you're walking in there, like you said, with this culture is armored, and there's skepticism. There's You know, people don't want to look awkward. You know, if you're posturing, you know, some authority in in whatever you have in your own being, you know, that protects you on a daily basis, it's dangerous to look goofy or, or laugh or fall out of a posture or get mocked. You know, there's tension in prison settings that the vulnerability that they're showing up on a mat willing to laugh and make mistakes and fault. Like, you know, it's not a, you know, army course or, you know, yoga has to be playful. It has to, we only get better by making mistakes and learning about the way our body functions, you know, our balance, uh, our structure, you know, like we fall. Let me ask you this. Um, you know, you've spoken a little bit about some of the different trainees that have come through your program and, uh, and how they've connected to their why or their, um, you know, their ability to connect with their, their students. Who is your training for? Who, who could benefit from doing this and, and why might someone choose to study um, the, the skill set of teaching trauma-informed yoga? Well, it's for anyone. It's for people that are not yoga instructors, for moms, for school teachers. Um, one of my favorite uh, comments was a LAUSD school teacher that said this should be mandatory for all teachers, you know, and you don't have to be a yoga instructor to understand what we encounter with with our kids, you know, because it's eye opening for teenagers, for unique populations. I think, I think what we're teaching is insight, compassion, and, and how to, like in the beginning, when we were saying about walking into any environment and looking inward 
as what do I have to offer here? You know, um, so even if you don't have a yoga practice, we, we had four social workers get a grant and come from Nashville because they wanted to know what were these yoga life skills and how can they use them to work with refugees that don't speak English? Like, and I'll never forget those ladies because one of them raised their hand and said, can, can you just give me a yoga pose that I can teach, you know, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to relate to my, my client? And, you know, we said, well, you want to give what you can. If you don't have a yoga practice, you're not going to give a yoga practice. You know, you're going to start from where you are. And maybe that's sitting down in a chair and breathing. That doesn't require language. You know, that requires understanding and sharing. And, you know, it's, it's really this gift of what we all have. Um, you know, I, I love another story is a guy heard me speak at a fundraiser and got caught up. And he said, I'm, I'm signing up for your training. I don't have to be a teacher. Great. And he signs up. He comes to the training. And afterwards, he said, well, I'm, I'm ready to volunteer. And I said, well, OK, great. Well, where, where would you like to volunteer and what can you do? And, you know, if I, I hire trauma-informed yoga instructors, we have contracts with, you know, we just got one recently with the city for four years and for gang prevention and, and aftercare. And that will be ongoing weekly for four years. So I'm in the need of turning around and hiring, you know, uprising yoga, trauma-informed yoga instructors, but he didn't teach yoga. And mm-hmm. so he said, well, he said he then left and then wrote me an email two years later and explained that he went and became a yoga teacher and he lost like 120 pounds. He said he had no plan to become a teacher. You know, he just liked the story and got caught up in the movement and said it's changed his life forever because now he's giving back on such a grand level that he had no idea that he even wanted to do that or had that desire. But it really came from tapping into, you know, where is my my personal trauma? Where where did it originated? Where did it come from? You know, your own personal investigation. So I think I think the trainings for anyone and everyone that's that's interested in giving back in whatever way they can, and and learning from experience, you know, from how to roll up your sleeves, do hands on, and and you know, yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing, uh, Jill. Apart from getting your message out on this podcast, what are you doing today to live your dharma? Today, particularly, I'm going back to where I grew up. <laughs> but if you meant today on the, I, yeah, so I, I grew up uh, about an hour away from here in Los Angeles, and they're having a little reunion. So when you said today, that's like, well, that, what am I doing today? I'm going mm-hmm. back into the community where I grew up. <laughs> but um, is that what you meant by the question? What am I Absolutely. doing today exactly. to live my dharma? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mix. And, you know, I we have a, I say I'm bridging communities worldwide, but I, I I guess it's starting with my own neighborhood, you know. Right, right. And and someone once told me, if you think you're spiritually enlightened, try spending a weekend with your own personal family. Uh. <laughs> it's like where the hardest work has to happen is is close to home, especially when you're talking about um, the inner work that it takes to go back into your own personal emotional history and trauma so um yeah that's definitely one way to live your dharma is to go back to your home community that's funny that's true (laughs) 
Uh, Jill, now seems like as good a time as any to move on to the final portion of this interview, which is what I like to call the prana round. And in the prana round, I ask you six rapid fire questions, ask you to answer in minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Uh, Let's do it. Okay. In one word, why do you practice yoga? So, so I'm not crazy. Oh, oh, one word. <laughs> liberation. I like so I'm not crazy. <laughs> I'm crazy anyways, but less crazy is better. <laughs> What's your favorite yoga pose and why? Eagle because it's juicy. Oh, yeah. Ju- juicy wet ropes, right? <laughs> What's the single best cue or piece of advice you've ever received from a yoga teacher? Sit down. Mm. Okay, recommend one book, modern or ancient, for our audience. Ah, how about the book I helped I contribute to? Um, Best Practices for Yoga in the Criminal Justice System. Oh, great. Yeah, we'll definitely link up to that in the show notes, too, for anyone who wants to check it out. Um, read the show notes, and there'll be a link to that book. Great. Uh, is yoga for everyone? Absolutely. Okay, last question. How can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your Dharma? Oh, great. Um, a website, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but the website's uprisingyoga.org. And, and I would say how you can help is if you know of anyone in Los Angeles that wants to take the October training, send them our way. Or if you know, about somebody that wants to bring yoga to their community, you know, shoot me an email. Awesome. Great. Uh, Jill, it was a real pleasure having you on. I loved hearing all of your um, really uh, impactful stories. So thank you for sharing that with me and with the Dharma Talk community. And I hope you have a wonderful time at home. Oh, thank you so much, Henry. Very nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. If you got something out of this episode, if you like Dharma Talk and want to keep it going, please do me a huge favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. I know it's not the most convenient thing to do, but it makes all the difference in getting the show out there and more visible to other people who can benefit from it. And hey, if you've got feedback or ideas or you want to get in touch with me, you can do that on Instagram at Henry Wins. Otherwise, I'll talk to you next week. And until then, Keep living your dharma.